Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so good to be with you again today. Today we are going to be continuing our study of the letter of Philippians, talking about the underdog faith of the early church. And today we're going to be continuing our study of chapter 1, beginning really with the very end of verse 18, but really going in from verse 19 through verse 30. So here now, the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Philippi, the Lord's word to his church today. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit that with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> to be or not to be. That is the question, whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortunes, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing end them, to die, to sleep. So says Hamlet, Prince of Denmark, in Act 3, Scene 1 of Shakespeare's famous play of intrigue and tragedy and existence. For generations, this soliloquy has put before us the rather grim question of whether it's better to hold on and to suffer through the slings and arrows of life, the hardships of life, or just to give up, to hang up your cleats, to throw in the towel. Whether it's worth it to live on or better just to give up and die. Well, today 
we have come to the Bible's version of Shakespeare's famous question. As Hamlet asks, to be or not to be, so the Apostle Paul states, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is an existential dilemma. What that means is that it's a, it's a dilemma, a problem, a challenge that deals with our very being, with our very existence. And yet the difference between Hamlet and Paul is that Hamlet is speaking from a place of paranoia, of deceit, of betrayal and murder. Whereas Paul is speaking from a place of grace and faith and hope and love. So what exactly does Paul mean and what is he expressing when he says these words? To live as Christ and to die is gain. Now remember that Paul was in prison on his fourth and last missionary journey. He was arrested in Rome and knew that he was probably going to die. He was awaiting his execution. By most standards, this would have been considered a catastrophe. But Paul saw it differently. He believed that this imprisonment presented him and the mission of the church with an unprecedented opportunity. Remember from last week, he wrote, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The apostle was telling them, God is going to use this moment as an opportunity for me to reach people that I could never reach before. He's saying that, you know, the world just closes doors, but God opens doors. And if I can't go out to preach the, to the people, God will bring the people who need to hear the gospel to me. And still, even with all that hope, even with all that optimism and, and faith, Paul was in prison and he had a lot of time to think. A lot of time to think. His ministry had been long. His ministry had been hard. At one point, he wrote about his imprisonments, his countless beatings, and his brushes with death. And in 2 Corinthians, he wrote, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at the, on, on the sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all of this, apart from these other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. I mean, Paul had been through a lot. And there he is in Rome wondering, am I done? He even wrote to Timothy, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now he's wondering, maybe even praying, is it time to go home? 
Am I done? To die is gain. Now, we need to understand that Paul was absolutely unafraid of death. He knows that he is firmly in the grip of God's grace, firmly in the grip of his unfailing love, of his, of his undeserved mercy and his unstoppable power. So on the one hand is his desire to let it all go and just go home and be with Jesus. But on the other hand, he says, but I know that you need me here. He wrote, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He's saying, some days I think that there can be nothing better than just to go home and be with Jesus. But most days, of what you're, because of what I'm going through, I'm sure that it's better for me and for you to stick it out here. And listen to the way he describes it. He says, and I am hard-pressed between the two. He's saying, you know, here I am. I have these two overwhelming desires to be with Jesus or to stay with you. And I'm just getting squeezed like I'm in a vice grip. You know, nowadays we would express it as to say that we were being pulled apart in different directions. But back then they described it as being pressed. Back then they thought of it as being squeezed like grapes in a wine press or olives in an olive press. You know, when I read those words that I am hard pressed between the two, that just fell on me like a ton of bricks. Let me ask you this. How many of you are feeling squeezed right now? You know, as I look back now over the last four months, at first, this quarantine, this COVID situation was easy. But now after four months, it's starting to get a lot more tense. Endurance is starting to fail. It's just getting harder. It's like, okay, playtime's over. It's time to get back to work, time to go back to school, time to get back to normal. But this thing just won't seem to end. I mean, how many of you are hard-pressed by loneliness? How many of you are hard-pressed by unknowing? How many of you are feeling that crushing squeezing in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids or your parents right now? How many of you are getting squeezed by not knowing whether or not you can go back to work or go back to school or go, come back to church? How many of you are being squeezed by, by your kids not being able to go back to school or if it will be safe for them to do that? How many of you are being squeezed by politics and social unrest right now, wondering what's going to happen with our country, squeezed between shame and honor, squeezed between the belief in justice for everybody and wanting to see people live happy, healthy, productive lives no matter what their race or background. And on the other hand, being squeezed between that and honor for your country, wanting to love who you are and love your family and love your history and love your country and be proud of the blessings and the community that we cherish. 
How many of you are feeling squeezed right now? Really, I think the question is not whether or not we're being squeezed. The question is, how are we responding to it? You know, when you wring out a towel full of water, water comes out. When you squeeze a grape, grape juice comes out. When you squeeze an olive, olive oil comes out. What's being squeezed out of you right now? You know, right now, some people are being squeezed and meanness is coming out. It's creeping into our families. It's creeping into our politics. It's creeping into our news. It's even creeping into the church. People are becoming judgmental and critical. The pressure is making them angry and they are saying cruel things to people. They're short-tempered. They lack all grace and they don't care. You know, sadly, I have seen more pettiness and petulance, entitlement, entitlement and ugliness in the last four months over ridiculous little things than I've ever seen in my life. Even good people, church people, are acting like they have a license to say anything. It's as though the people of Christ have completely forgotten the Apostle James's warnings about the tongue. The sad thing is, is that some people get squeezed, and all of us to a certain degree get squeezed, and we get mean. Other people get squeezed and they get melancholy. That is to say, they become depressed, sad, forlorn, inconsolable. As a matter of fact, Hamlet is often called the melancholy Dane. Right now, depression is through the roof. Substance abuse is through the roof. Anxiety is through the roof. You know, you heard me talk about all of that last week. The people feel like they're not only being squeezed, they're being crushed. The grief is growing. Their hearts are broken. Their dreams are dissipating like vapor. Last night, I was supposed to be doing a wedding that had been rescheduled for May, and now it's going to have to be rescheduled again. People are starting to just feel that pressure. They're bored. They're sad. They're weepy. I mean, how many of you have found yourselves in the last four months staring out the window or at a wall, not entirely sure what day it is? Some people get squeezed and they get melancholy. So how did Paul deal with this crushing pressure? Well, what we see in Paul is that instead of giving in to meanness or melancholy, Paul chose the way of mercy. He chose to love and he cried out for help. First of all, he chose to love. And in the end, after a lifetime of walking with the Lord, when Paul was squeezed, mercy came out. In this letter to the Philippians, we see that when Paul was squeezed, what comes out of him is love. He says, even though it is better for me to go and be with Christ, it's better for you that I stay here and I labor for you. You know, this isn't a decision of convenience. It's a decision of love in the model of Christ Jesus. 
When Paul says that to live is Christ, that means that he is going to live as Christ and love like Christ. Even under crippling pressure, Paul could turn in love to others because he remembered how Christ Jesus loved him and how much he loves us. Think about this. Jesus is the one who, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor so that, by, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might be dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Who for our sake became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Paul says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul chose mercy over entitlement. He chose endurance over escape. Instead of saying, you know what, you're on your own from here on out, he said, I am going to stay with you. You know, how many times did Jesus tell us to meet tragedy or pain or enmity with love or mercy? I'll tell you how many times. The answer is every time. We are not going to survive or endure or redeem this crisis if we can't turn our eyes upward and outward. One of the great blessings of serving and loving other people is how much it redirects our attention from our own struggles to our own blessings. Through compassion, God empowers us. God heals us. And God makes his light shine in the world. So Paul says, the first thing I'm going to do to deal with this pressure is I'm going to turn to love. I'm going to turn to mercy. But Paul did not just choose to love. He also cried out for help. Listen to the first words that we read today. I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's saying, you know what? I can fall back on this. I need help. I can't do this alone. I need you. I need your prayers. And I need Jesus. You know, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this stuff today is because I, just like you, I'm feeling the squeeze. And over the weekend, I've had more conversations with people who are hurting than I have over the, any other single week of this crisis. The fact is, we can't do this on our own. We need one another. When people are in trouble, they need to feel like they can run to the church and not have to feel like they have to run away from the church. And it's not just that we need one another's help. We need one another's prayers. I mean, are you asking people to pray for you are you offering to pray for other people? Because when we pray for one another, we're not just giving them our sympathy, our compassion, our energy, our resources. We are giving them a connection to the living God who has more to bring to bear and more healing power and more love than we could ever muster on our own. 
It's not just enough to ask who's listening to you. It's, we ought to be asking who do you have praying for you? We need to be reaching out. And another reason that prayer is so important is because it acknowledges that we need Jesus. And Paul says, I can't do this on my own. I need you praying for me and I need Jesus. Beloved, I don't know when we are going to get through this. I just know that we're not going to get through this without Christ. We need his love. We need his teaching. We need his example. And we need his power to forgive. We need his authority. We need his faith. We need his wisdom. And we need his resurrection life. And like Paul, Jesus said, I'm going to be with you. He said, behold, I'm with you until the end of the age. And he sent to us God, the Holy Spirit, to be with us, to say, you are not alone. And there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The fact is, we are all under pressure. And we're not going to spend or fight or medicate or bully our way through the valley of the shadow of death. We're going to have to love our way through it. And Paul says this. I know that you are being squeezed too between life and death, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And so Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, please understand, this is not about earning your salvation. It's not about earning our salvation. Paul is talking about representing Christ. When you are squeezed, do people see Christ and his mercy and love? Or do they see something else? Something ugly? Do they see the corruption of the flesh? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, says Paul in Galatians 5. Or when you are squeezed, when I'm squeezed, squeezed, when we're squeezed, do they see the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness gentleness, and self-control. You know, I'm afraid that the enemy is really enjoying this right now. The more we are squeezed, the nastier people get. Beloved, we've got to remember that not all criticism is constructive. We need to back off the criticism and the meanness and ramp up the mercy. Cruelty is not a symptom of godliness. It is a symptom of self-righteousness and entitlement. And so often self-righteousness is just the tantrum of people trying to be relevant. But when we let ourselves yield to meanness, we are hurting people and we are dishonoring the Lord Jesus Christ. And so live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you are squeezed, be mindful that what comes out of you honors Christ. We're all being squeezed right now. And so I'm begging you to do something bold. 
I'm begging you not to run from it, but to turn into the pressure. Don't run from it. Acknowledge it and ask God to redeem it. We are in the grip of God's unfailing love, his undeserved mercy, and his unstoppable power. And here is the good news. Suffering is not a condemnation, but a transformation. God is using this challenge as part of his sanctification process. As the Apostle Peter wrote, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All of that corruption and infection and fear and meanness and melancholy is squeezed out as all of that fleshly corruption is exposed, the Lord is making room to pour in his comfort and his love and his peace and his strength and his mercy. And his mercy and his fruit can fill this vessel. And he will produce unexpected joy in the face of suffering, unexpected courage in the face of persecution, unexpected kindness in the face of great cruelty, unexpected patience in the face of great urgency, unexpected tenacity in the face of overwhelming odds, unexpected generosity in the face of poverty, and unexpected hope in the face of tragedy. And as people see us squeezed and see us move from meanness through melancholy to mercy, they will see the transformational power of Jesus Christ at work. We pray with me. Oh Lord, right now we feel that we are squeezed, literally squeezed between life and death between pushing on and the power of this pandemic. Lord, we, we feel the pressure in our families, in our work, in our, in our communities, in our politics. And Lord, we just, we just need relief and we don't know how to get it. And so Lord, we want to turn to you. We ask you to turn our, our meanness, or our melancholy into mercy so that the love that you have shown to us may flow through us to people who need it. And so thereby, you, Lord, you will redirect our brokenness, our pain, our attention to our own struggles, to the needs and the opportunities to serve your people. Lord, make us more like Christ. More, Lord, make us more like Paul. So that when we are squeezed, people see more and more of your mercy come from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.